Welcome to the Pink Tax Podcast, a no-nonsense podcast for millennial women, building wealth and smashing the patriarchy, one dollar at a time, with your hosts, Janine and Tara. Hey, Tara. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, I mean, dealing with the existential crisis of climate change and possible mass extinction events. So, you know, there's that. How have you been feeling after, since we've exited uh, the heat dome, possibly just the first heat dome of the summer? I feel like we're back in it. Like it was so hot here today in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look at the, the forecast for the the coming weekend. I mean, we're in July now, so, okay. Maybe like we are expecting some warmer temperatures, but I mean, that heat dome at the end of June was like not normal. No. So, um, I'm sure everyone heard about like us breaking the, uh, all time highest temperature in Canada in Lytton, BC, before it burnt to the ground, and at least one person died that I know of. Um, and a whole town burnt to the ground. A whole town burnt to the ground. Yeah, unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. But yeah, what what got to me is up here in Edmonton, we have already broken. Uh, the record for most consecutive like plus 30 or plus 35 or whatever days and we did that in June yeah I think Calgary was either the same or similar or close to like it was like we just kept breaking records every day like yeah we still have the whole summer to go so people who are like oh it's a blip it's not a blip billions of ocean creatures died a blip. Seven- go away <laughs> exactly it's 700 people more than 700 people died in BC, in British Columbia, just heat related yeah. in one week. Um, I was reading, it was like all these like sudden deaths. Usually there's like three or four in a day and it was like 135 in three days, which is insane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. And I don't know, I think maybe we should talk how that relates to finance, personal finance, all finance. What do you think? Yeah. And specifically women, right? Because I think global warming or climate change or whatever the fuck you want to call it disproportionately affects women mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and, and like specifically low income women as well and it's not necessarily going to be our neighbors I mean we have a lot of women who are already disproportionately affected by this um well, yeah, it's going to be people who are more likely to live in poverty, which women are more likely in general to live in poverty than men. Um, so, of course, it's going to affect them more. Well, and so there's a couple things that struck me as well recently. Um, so by the time this is released, this will have been a while ago. But there's massive flooding in New York. The subway systems have flooded. And I've said this many times to my husband, but like, All the horror movies, thrillers, everything like that 
when we were going to go through like a mass, like a pandemic event or massive climate change events that like disrupted our lives significantly and killed people, I didn't think that we would have to still go to shitty nonsense jobs. I didn't think that we were going to have to do that. But we still do. So there's this video of people are like looking down, you know, the steps you go down into the subway, right? Mm, yeah. Um, it's it's completely flooded up to the steps. You know, you go down and then you kind of maybe go up a little bit to the platform and like that little turn thingy. Um, so people are like videoing it because it's just it's a swimming pool. And this person... I don't know, needed to get to work, needed to get to her kids, pick her kids up. I don't know. I don't know what they were doing, um, but just walked right into it, just waited up until probably like their, I want to say their waist, had their arms up here and was just like, just going for it to get to the train. Fucking wild. Right? But like, I assume there is an obligation that's, you, you know. You just do that for fun. No. There is some sort of obligation, whether it's like putting food on your table or getting kicked out of your house or something like that, that is making you, your children, that's making you choose to wade through disgusting subway water because subway is disgusting at the best of times. Mm. How many rats are in New York? Like, Well, and then also risk, like if it's flooding the walkways like that, like flash flooding like that like what the hell might happen in the actual subway we saw that did you see the video from northeast calgary with the flash flood yeah i did yeah i did yeah and you know it comments on a couple of things like one women typically travel further for their mm-hmm. their jobs um because it's more likely that they're part-time work or minimum wage work but also like if they're doing things like that so whether it's you know a flood or a hurricane or whatever like I've always been told like if that, not that I don't, not that I think it will happen here in Calgary, um, kind of based on where we live, but, um, if you like cut yourself and you're walking through that water, there's like, obviously like serious medical and health issues that can lead to infection and sepsis. And like, it's not a good situation from a health perspective either. Mm -mm. No, definitely not. Um, Yeah. And like, yeah, to see that, to see the folks in the Northeast, like sitting on the bus, all of a sudden there's a flash flood. They have to like move their legs up onto the seats of the bus. Uh, Like people who do not have the means to get out of cities or regions where this kind of thing is going to happen more and more often, of course, they're going to be disproportionately affected. And I think infrastructure is like a huge, huge part of that, um, given that we let the poorer neighborhoods become dilapidated. Well, and I was going to say in the poorer neighborhoods, it's generally like big rental companies that come in and do like a, you know, a boardwalk or or whatever the company is that has these apartment complexes and they don't care. No, no. 
Well, and uh, the other thing that struck me too, and I'll send it to you on Instagram, was someone put together the average income of different neighborhoods in the United States and then did a side-by-side. So they did, oh, if your average income is 150000 in aerial view versus average income of the neighborhood is like 30000 you get the people who make over 150000 or whatever – will have trees and parks and it's so green like you just see like bits of gray and then a ton of green you go down to the um, poorer neighborhoods or the low-income neighborhoods and it's just gray it's just straight gray there are no trees and trees provide shade you need you need the shade to protect you so if you don't have air conditioning in your house it would be great if you had big trees around you to provide shade so that you know you your house can cool off but you don't have that option in poor neighborhoods and like that's disgusting i mean i'm really lucky i live in probably one of the more well-off neighborhoods in in calgary um we live in a fourplex but you're right like i walk i was walking today like and you know i'm walking through the streets and there's there's tons of trees and shade and parks there's Mm -hmm. probably four parks within like a 10 minute walk of our house Yeah. And that's so important for um, dealing with climate change as well. I know the fuck put it out. Some asshat put it out. Some actually famous person put it out like a hundred million dollars or something like that or a million dollars to somebody who can come up with like fucking carbon capture idea. And then uh, someone quote tweeted it and was like, oh, I guess whoever like fucking invented forests gets a hundred million dollars our like biggest carbon capture thing that we have right now is fucking trees and we're clear cutting the fuck out of them and we're not building urban we're not planting urban forests we're not using the grasslands that we have here we constantly choose in terms of like greenery Um, we constantly choose, you know, things that are high water and low carbon capture. It's disgusting. Well, and like, not to completely change the, like where we're going with the topic of climate change, but like we as a family, probably for the past five years, I want to say, like we really, other than now, like we have a little little baby so we have bought some like chicken and stuff and salmon to like try with him but like for the like five years before that we really didn't buy meat and what I'm getting at with this is like cows take up so much water like it's ridiculous how much of an impact eating beef is on on the climate and like obviously there are many many things like like we could get into the oil and gas industry which is like pretty much the worst, but you know, there's so many areas that affect it that we can try and combat. And I just, it's frustrating because I think people don't like want to take responsibility and don't want to make choices that like, I think we've bought beef. I could count on one hand in the past, probably five years, how often we've bought beef. And if everyone were to like cut like maybe not even that dramatically, right? Like just a little bit. It, we may see like a more positive impact on the planet. Yeah. Um, 
And well, to go a little bit back to to industry and like the relationship between individual choices and industry. Totally. I just finished a book called Less is More. It's by um, an economist named, uh, or sorry, he's an economic anthropologist named Jason Hickel. Um, and he he put together a lot of things, and my suspicion from what we saw with the potato pits, the uh, ongoing dumping of milk to sustain milk prices in the dairy industry, and then um, the trashing of Amazon products that we saw on video not that long ago, um, where they just throw out perfectly good things to uh, maintain prices um, rather than give it away for free. I think my suspicion is, Janine, even if we were to all go plant-based, they would say, like they did when we tried to close down the meatpacking plants due to COVID, well, what about all these, this livestock? What about all this product that we have to kill and process? Like, we're going to end up throwing away so much rather than just keep the fucking cows alive a little longer. But what is their purpose, um, Tara, then? Sorry? What is their purpose, then? Well, exactly, right? Because in the system that we live in, uh, the only good cow is a dead cow or a milking cow. And the only good forest is a chopped down forest, unfortunately. Um, so I think like there is something that individuals should be doing for sure. Like any any little choice that you can make, you know, like I've been going to um, refill places for basic everyday um you know hygiene things like shampoo conditioner like those kind of things right walking cycling because like we refilled a like huge costco sized um hand soap Mm -hmm. thing like we'd bought it from costco and we're like okay we're gonna go to our refillery and get it refilled it was fucking expensive Mm -hmm. like it was yeah really expensive like I was like oh shit we need to like treat this dish soap or hands up like gold and so yeah it's like not accessible for everybody mm-hmm. yeah and I don't want to uh, download this kind of uh these kind of choices to somebody who's earning less than minimum wage or minimum wage or not earning anything at all like as we talked about if you have an unemployment rate of anything um, like Stephanie Kelton said, then the actual minimum wage is zero. So I'm not going to put it upon those folks who need to access whatever they can, whether that be in convenience sized packaging or not, um, and whether it be from Walmart. No, I think we need to put pressure on um, the people who are – well, it's not people. It's corporations um, – that are actually doing this this damage um, and they're saying that it's the way to go just because we've always done it. One of the I things that like I'm done with yeah. it. Well, well, yeah, exactly. Like that's complete and total bullshit. So something that I came across not too long ago um, was a way to put pressure on your financial institution, on your bank. 
Yes, you had sent me an article on this, and this is like super freaking interesting. So sorry for interrupting, yeah. but I'm just no. prefacing everybody like listen and pay attention to what Tara's gonna say because it's super interesting. Yeah, it's so, so cool. So it's from the Climate Pledge Collective, and they've got all these templates out because the big five banks, they said that they were going to get to net zero uh, lending by 2050, but then they're not actually doing anything about it. Um, They're getting really low scores on these climate chaos reports. Um, They're heavily lending to um, companies such as fossil fuel companies that are creating and expediting the the climate crisis. And so they've got these great templates. You can send them to your bank. You can say, I'm pulling my money. I, I think this is like a super cool place to start. Um, also really good for like local finance too, because like maybe your local credit union isn't uh, participating in these kind of practices to that to that extent, right? And then we can talk about, you know, funds divesting from fossil fuels and that kind of thing too. I think that's an interesting way to pull pressure on. Let's, let's back up for a sec for people yeah. who maybe don't know like what this is. Um, so what this, and we can link this in the, in the, um, description of the the episode but what this climate momentum is asking is to switch your bank because the major five banks rbc cibc bmo td and scotia bank are investing and heavily um involved in the fossil fuel industry is that correct yeah yeah and so yeah so they're getting returns on it on both ends. So they're lending out funds to it and then they're getting the interest back. Um, And they're financing things like deforestation mm -hmm. um, as well as they have investments from what I'm have in front of me in high carbon assets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, when we're putting our money into ETFs or into the the funds that are coming out of these institutions, if they're getting their returns from these industries, that would be like divestment. But even if you did everything on your own and divested your own self from those funds, um, you're still using a bank that's making money off of those funds and making money off the lending side. So for example, and I think we've talked about the Canadian couch potato funds before. Um, Like I think in season one, but um, that's somewhere I always like point people when they're looking for like, you know, what kind of like funds are available that are well diversified. So one of the funds that I believe is on there is ZAG, which is traded on the TSX which is the BMO aggregate bond index ETF. So in your opinion, investing in something like this is supporting BMO. So they're going to get a cut from it somehow, whatever the fee ends up being on that. We'd have to dive into that fund a little bit more, but so BMO is getting some sort of revenue from this and they are clearly supporting anti-climate change. Is that fair to say? Is that a good summary? 
Yeah, I would say it that way for sure. And like when you think of it this way too, so if they're making mad revenue on their fees, on their transaction fees or whatever for your mutual fund, for that fund that you were just talking about, um, they're able to look at, you know, a large corporation and say, oh, you need, you know, um, several million dollars in financing to start up your new clear cutting project. Um, well, great. We can offer you a low, low, low interest rate, lower than we could offer, um, you know, Janine or Tara, because we're going to take all of the revenue that we gained off of the transactions that people like Janine and Tara made in their investment accounts and give you a better rate on that. And then they've got a revenue stream from like a large corporation but they're able to offer a discounted rate because they also have a revenue stream from us for sure. Absolutely for sure. And so I'm, I've just pulled up, like I've have a couple windows and browsers open from a couple of the articles you sent before we you know started recording. But one of the things I wanted to bring up was just how much these banks are actually investing in um, fossil fuels. So total fossil fuel financing by the big five, the worst offenders, RBC with over a hundred billion in the last, mm-hmm. in, from 2016 to 2018. Yeah. And I mean, TD Scotiabank, not for that far behind then BMO. And I think CIBC is like the yeah. worst or the best of the worst offenders. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and then getting back to that bond fund, Um, so we've got the government of Canada, um, buying up bonds, right? Um, and we also have them issuing subsidies to oil and gas companies, foresting, and I, I, I want to change the foresting industry to deforesting industry, honestly, because they don't replant nearly a fuck enough for it to actually be forestry. It's a deforestry industry. So um, our government is also funding this as well. They're, they have uh, a relationship with the banks that make the banks money right now through our uh, quantitative easing policies and then we also have um, the massive tax cuts and then direct transfers to these large industries um, and so when we yeah. look at this like I'm you know I'm I'm thinking to myself okay so the big five obviously dominate the Canadian landscape when it comes to to banks who then do we look to? And so obviously credit unions, you said, and in this article, um, it does say that, but what do you think about like online banks? Like, so I predominantly bank with Tangerine, but I know Tangerine is owned by Scotiabank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a really tough choice, actually. Um, and I think I like the idea of the campaign because it's it's connecting the dots for a lot of people. And I think in terms of like public pressure, I think it, it can do a lot. But the thing is, we're kind of trapped. Like we're trapped in um, 
the way finance works. Like we're trapped in the way banks works and we're trapped in the way like our current economic system works. So as individuals, there's there's not a whole hell of a lot, unfortunately. Um, but I think this in combination with other things and even just in terms of like education and making people aware, I think that's really great. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, kind of like what you said, we, we are trapped here in Canada. Like when you look at the US and how many options they have down there for banking and credit unions and blah, blah, blah. It's insane compared to what we have in Canada. We, I mean, it's probably like cell phone providers and that, you know, that's a different episode that I'm sure we'll dig into, but you know, we have some of the most expensive banks. I've talked to some of my American friends, they don't pay fees to bank. Like the banks are lucky Mm -hmm. in a sense to have their money to reinvest. Um, Mm -hmm. And so from that perspective, they're saving. And then also they have so many options like locally, federally, state, Mm -hmm. they have all of these different options to bank in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's tough for sure. Um, but yeah, I really like, I like the sounds of this. I think this, do you think it will make an impact? Do you think enough people will? I hope so. I hope it at least starts a, a conversation. It was definitely something that made me think twice. And I think it was around this time last year after one of our episodes, I said, you know, I think I'll start looking into um, ESG and align my values with like that type of investing. And it is it's seriously difficult because a lot of those returns are based on, you know, bank profits. Like they're using a lot of stability from that. We're using uh, housing things, which we already, you know, talked about. Like those aren't great either. Like if you're tearing down an urban forest to build a high rise and then completely take away any trees and fill it full of concrete, you're not helping, you know? Um, And we know that housing in terms of supply is not actually an issue. Um, we have the supply. It's just a matter of like getting the people into the houses. So yeah, that's, that's, that's really quite shit. Um, and that was going to be my, my next point, the link with, with finance as well, because the government is complicit in this. And I think, um, we know we definitely have a municipal election coming up and we might have a, yeah, yeah, our our two cities do. And we have a potentially a federal election coming up. And I'm thinking about, you know, who is advocating for lower property taxes and why? And what these property taxes could um be used for in our cities and like what kind of legislation could help in terms of Well, and I think I said it in a previous episode. I think that property taxes are very regressive right now mm-hmm. and whoever comes into power in either Edmonton or Calgary I think it's not that they need to increase them per se it's that they need to be more mindful of who and how they increase things right because there are people that will not be able to pay if they continue to increase because but there's no means testing in terms of you know, there's a bazillionaire, mm-hmm. like it's basically a flat tax, right? Which we know flat taxes are aggressive. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then we have the user fees too. So it's not as though if, um, 
a landlord who doesn't even necessarily live in that community, like let's say a boardwalk kind of uh, landlord, um, it's not as though they're going to pass along any of those discounts to their tenants. They're still going to go with whatever the most that they can extract in terms of rent, right? And because they're taxpayers and because they can fund these elections and because they can take time to write to these officials, then we have neighborhoods that don't work for the people that are living there and don't work for like the non-human, you know, either if you wanted to call them non-human animals or like non-human entities, but like there are so many ways that like trees are connected to each other. So, you know, if you clear cut part of a forest, you can kill the other side of it because their roots were connected to each other through a, a fungal system and they were reliant on each other. And anyway, we shouldn't be allowing like large companies or rich people um, to dictate how many trees somebody can have in their neighbor in a poor neighborhood was basically where I was going with that. Um, well, and we don't touch them in rich neighborhoods because they're old and inner city and whatever. And people want trees and green space and that's great. But then like, let's not do that in other neighborhoods either. Yeah. Well, and it was like the coal conversation as well. When people were talking about like no open pit coal mines in Alberta, which we should not have, but I did notice that Anytime that these kind of projects affect someone with means, that's when they don't go through. But then it just pushes those projects into different areas. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have if you have something you want to go like do some fracking, you're not going to go do it on the billionaire's property. You go do that where poor people live and then they have to deal with the the pollution and the water issues that come from that and i think that's pretty sick as well but it would be nice for once if we saw the same level of advocacy when those types of projects are going through other areas where we just might not happen to live um i'm getting super super sidetracked no but Um, it's true though like when you look at even like this is not climate change, but when you look at the pandemic, who did Jason Kenny blame? He blamed Northeast Calgary, right? Like it's do this all the time. Yeah. And I mean, if we want to see it at a local level, Northeast Calgary has been completely fucked by weather systems. Yep. They had all of that hail damage. They never got bailed out the same way that um, Calgary did after the floods, rich people who were living in Mount Royal. Um, nobody, uh, thought twice about having the province cover their flooding damage um, if insurance didn't cover it for some reason. And when Fort Mac had the fires, there was no issue getting those folks help. But we have the worst hailstorm that we have ever fucking seen. And we still have folks that have plastic tarps on their houses. Tara, climate change isn't real. Don't do this to me. But but the thing is, I that's the first thing I saw, thought about when I saw that video of that flash flood and in the northeast oh, that fuck. filled up a, a bus. I was like, holy fuck. These are the people whose cars were destroyed by hail may that maybe now have to take the bus and then their fucking bus is flooding. Or they may not have cars or they might have – Or might, or might not have cars or- but like – the transit system is pretty fucked in that area, so like they might have a car. Depends where you live in the northeast, in my opinion. Um, some parts are well connected, 
but those are the new it's so anyway. sad but uh. also like if you had your roof taken out by hail last year and then this year you get your basement taken out by flash fucking flooding and you don't have air conditioning let's say um or your electricity bill goes through the fucking roof or you have a brownout how yeah or you have a brownout because your substation is low priority so we're we've got to conserve the grid um like it's just that shit fucking crazy and i don't understand how the people who are in the northeast of calgary right now aren't so fucking raw like i would be so chapped but like i'm sure they have obligations just like that person who was wading through the fucking flooded subway and it's like hey i can't protest right now or call my counselor or like you know rail into jason Kenny on twitter because i have to feed my family yeah and like literally These next elections are going to piss me off so much because we're just allowing folks to say, we'll save you money because we'll lower taxes. Save who money, sir? Save who money? No, it's they don't think any steps in the future, like, right? Like, it's no, no, I think they do. I think they do think steps in the future because the thing is, if they save money to the business owner in Chestmere who happens to own a waste management service, let's say, and also has like 56 rental properties um, in Calgary, and you say, I'll lower your Calgary taxes for you, and then because we can't um, do properly funded waste management service, I'll give you that contract as well, and then you don't have unionized workers, and you can pay them less and then you end up hiring the same people that you fucked over it's sick and i think they do think ahead janine because i just thought of that in 10 seconds that is exactly what i would fucking do yeah you're not wrong i concede my point for sure (laughs) there's Um, there's an yeah go for it i was just gonna say to kind of bring it all the way back i did want to ask what you think or I did want to ask how you think this affects women more um, when it comes to climate change. Obviously, we've talked about this woman in New York having to, you know, tread through the subways, and there's many women that have to drop their kids off at daycare, or are the daycare workers, or are doing a lot of part-time work or gig work or precarious work, but kind of beyond that what do you see in terms of how climate change affects women on a global perspective oh yeah like on a global perspective like even if we're just talking about like infrastructure and whose infrastructure gets fixed uh there was another thing and i believe it was in bangladesh and we can cut it if i am incorrect but there was another thing that struck me recently of the predominantly women uh, seamstresses, I believe they were, who were locked in a burning building in Bangladesh as it burnt to the fucking ground in the fast fashion industry. Um, And it was really reminiscent of me when that last building collapsed um, and all those women died. Um, And they had told people that the building was crumbling and they had said that it's unsafe and it, it, it killed all of them. Um, it killed grandmothers. It killed aunts. It killed pregnant women. It killed daughters. And they're all gone. And I think it's the exact same thing 
that will happen with climate change because it's not going to be the institutions or industries where low-income women are working um, that are going to be fixed first. So we've got more women that use the transit system. We're not funding it. Well, we, you know, Dr. Ted's came on and said that user Mm -hmm. fees are sexist, right? Like it's the same. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, we have, uh, sorry, but, um, yeah, I have been thinking about, um, the user fees being, being sexist and stuff like that. And then we have, um, women who, you know, have to work, and maybe have to work in the Amazon warehouses here, who have to work as like janitorial staff, um, who have to work in long-term care facilities where I have heard that the air conditioning is only turned on when the management is present and then the workers have to work in unair conditioned buildings. Um, I wonder about the predominantly, and maybe there are a few of them in Alberta because the corporate offices aren't open right now, but I do worry about the predominantly low-income racialized women who work as cleaners in those facilities. And I do wonder, is anyone going to pay for the higher cost of air conditioning overnight in a heat wave? when the temperatures don't even get below 20 degrees celsius i do wonder about that and um because if you've ever cleaned a house this is a house not an office building you know how much fucking work it is like i have my air conditioning going and i'm cleaning my house and i'm breaking a sweat so one statistic that i came across in my readings um was that in mawali uh, climate change disruptions could create 1.5 million additional child brides. And I think that this obviously is a horrifying statistic, but I think it kind of compounds into everything we've talked about, right? Like, it's not just like, oh, the earth is warmer, therefore there are child brides. It's kind of like, you know, they can't work in safe conditions or they have to stay home to take care of people, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then there's higher rates of, of child brides and marriages and domestic violence and sexual abuse and so much shit. Yeah. I think those are really, um, I don't know if you want to call them negative externalities or what of like our social structure more than, um, more than they are of climate change per se um because there's nothing that should inherently you know by the the global temperature increasing by 2 degrees that shouldn't inherently create child brides but if you think it about does- that's maybe not a fair comment because the next kind of part of that was um in australia they said they did some research around um domestic abuse spiking after bushfires so if we mm-hmm. think about like obviously what causes bushfires right climate change blah 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 like heating up and then what causes domestic like if there was bushfires is it because like someone lost their home and they're stressed and there's like you know male toxic masculinity and they don't know how to take it out and does that lead to women getting domestically abused so 
you know, is it like, that's a, that's a problem with our social structure. If we had, if we had better social connections, if we had a better social structure, if we didn't live within the confines of white supremacy and misogyny, that's, you're right. That's a fair point. I, I, yeah, I guess in my mind, maybe it's more linear. I'm like one degree Mm -hmm. warmer women are child brides. Like it just, it links. Yeah. No, there's, there's nothing inherent about that. I mean, we will have, um, less food. We can see that we've got droughts across Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. I worry what that will do for not just our agricultural industries, but what that will do in terms of like, will we have bread on the table next year? Will we have chickpeas? Um, you know, we're going to see massive fire events through California again. We're not getting any fucking avocados, guys. Um, looks over at avocados. <laughs> um, you know, but also like we're already dealing with with food scarcity in some places. We're already um dealing with food insecurity, I should put it that way. And what do people do when they're desperate? And child brides are a function of a misogynist society, right? Oh, 100%. And if that's your only way out, that's your only way out. Um, you know, one less mouth to feed for people at home. And like, I mean, I think it's the same that we saw with uh, Canada and even those like home children or whatever, right? Like Britain had too many orphans. So they just like shipped a ton of kids over here to be like abused. And they're like, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Um, What could go wrong? It's 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 a sick, sick, sick system. Um, But yeah, I think it is it's a system. It's systemic. There is um there's a lot of things that we could do, but I think we have to do it all together. So what, do, what do you think we can do? Like in kind of wrap, wrapping up this episode. Like I'm oh I feel like this to me was like I kind of knew, but like maybe not to the extent that you knew coming into this episode. I feel like I'm pissed off and gonna change my bank now. But like, what else can we do, Tara? Yeah. I mean, there are individual things you can do. Like you're doing the the right stuff. You know, you buy secondhand, you uh, lower your carbon footprint, you do all that. But like, if you see Amazon dumping a shit ton of perfectly usable things, you call them out on that and you stop using Amazon. Do you buy anything on Amazon? Of course, everyone buys shit on Amazon. Everybody buys shit on Amazon. It's so hard not to. to. Like I do. It's so hard not to. But if you can coordinate it, like even on a no-buy day, you know, even if it just raises awareness, like this kind of thing, right? Like we've inherited a system where there is um, an unequal distribution of power and we don't have a lot of options. But I think if you act collectively and instead of amazon prime day you have amazon no buy day like that's great that's a step in the right direction um doing something active against fast fashion like buying secondhand or repurposing stuff like if you want to get into circular economy kind of things if you want to get into gift economy groups on facebook even though you know facebook is a problem as well um you can do those kind of things. Uh, and like when you're putting pressure on people, like 
politicians, like people with some amount of power, not as much power as corporations, but some amount of power, like they need to say that now air conditioning in Alberta, it used to be a nice to have and now it's a must have. So everybody has to have access to that. There has to be cooling stations, um, forests, like we need them. We have to stop clear cutting in British Columbia. We, we have forests. to. Yeah. And we need urban forests as well. We need places where people can go in public and cool off. And we also need to ensure that those forests are connected. We can't have one little tree in the middle of a sea of concrete. Um, I think we need to reseed our grasslands. We need to really think and put pressure on the agricultural sector, which is coming up as the next big thing uh, across the prairies as oil and gas dies. Um, we have to think about our transition to renewables uh, in terms of wind and solar. And we have to say, listen, like you all are throwing out perfectly good stuff we don't need to use this much energy. You're throwing potatoes into a giant potato pit when people are starving and you're dumping milk when children are going hungry. So we're going to stop this and we're going to use a lot less and we're going to use locally. And um, I think, yeah. you know, using locally is one big thing that people can do, obviously, in addition to all the things you mentioned there. But Yeah. And get rid of your fucking lawn also. Garden, put in clover, um, abolish lawns. Front lawns suck. Get rid of them. Yeah. We're growing kale right now and I eat it for lunch every day. So there you go. So that's the pink tax rebate is eat kale and grow it. (laughs) (laughs) And put pressure on companies and politicians. Yeah, them, those two, them, yeah. take them down burn them down i'm not advocating for violence but also like property inflicting damage on property is not violence and i think unless there are people in it in which case we should unless there are people in it but i think one of the biggest problems with like how we view things and how we view things in the economy is that we've personified corporations and we've personified non-living entities that's, so that's not humans not I, plants I not animals i love a house or i love a car like i think it's weird to yeah. love an inanimate object and at the same time i think we've dehumanized and um sort of it's not my word, but somebody said thingified, living things. Like we've turned trees, living things into objects rather than living entities with agency. We've done the same things with animals. We've done the same things with children. We've done the same things with non-white people. We've done the same things with women. We constantly in our society dehumanize living That's entities and we've personified fucking ideas it's disgusting gone thought i lost my mind creature without a spine took back what should be mine thrown in the deep and trust
hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Let us know what you think on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Pink Tax Podcast is recorded in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. Our music is provided by Margo. You can find her work at noisebymargo.com. Sound editing by Peter Dobson. If you'd like to support the Pink Tax Podcast, you can make a donation at liberapay.com slash pinktaxpodcast and submit a five-star review on Apple Podcasts.